Welcome to Bodcast, the business of dentistry podcast, brought to you by Practice Plan. Bodcast delivers the best business advice, real-life stories, and practical hints and tips to make your practice a more profitable and sustainable business. And now, here's your host. Hi, my name is Nigel Jones. I'm Sales and Marketing Director of the Practice Plan Group of Companies that includes Practice Plan, DPAS and Vedenta. A very warm welcome to this latest edition of Podcast, where I'm joined by Paul Graham. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Nigel. I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just explaining for our audience um, a little bit about yourself and, and what you do and what Christie's do. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I'm Paul Graham, Head of Dental at Christie & Co. Um, Christie & Co are specialist values and brokers within the dental sector. We typically act for independent operators who are looking to sell the dental practice. That can range from single sites to small groups to larger portfolios. Um, and within Christie & Co, we have 35 dental specialists that cover our uh, UK position. Um, that's important because there's a lot of local nuances that, that, that need to be uh, we need to be mindful of. Um, the wider team have great experience within the dental sector. We are the only RICS regulated agent valuing and selling practices in the market as well. So we've got a very, very unique uh, insight into into the, the movements in the marketplace at the moment in time. Yeah, and I, I guess some of those insights come from yesterday, your day today, but also the, the review, which is the subject of our, our, our discussion. So could you maybe explain a little bit about the, the review itself? Yeah, certainly. The foundations of the review is created, um, again, with our experience and intel on, on the market. Our valuation team, um, typically in any given year and in the last 12 months, have valued in excess of 950 dental practices, the aggregate value of which was to the tune of about £550 million. Our dental team, the, the, the brokerage team, who are transacting practices for sale, um, had valued or sold in excess of £925 million pounds worth of practices in the last 12 months. And then our consultancy team that, that, that helped bring all of this information together um, over the last five years have had access to over 4,300 dental practices. It's, it's allowed our consultancy team to create over 100 million data points with the intel that we, we bring together. The systems are very intuitive. Um, we're tracking performance of practices, we're benchmarking costs within practices and, and have access to, to those in the marketplace um, at ground level, at, at practice level, um, right into the, 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 the CEOs of larger groups and, and portfolios. So um, that, that helps us bring all of this information together and create uh, our more recent 2020 dental review. Yeah, excellent. I'm, I'm looking forward to exploring it with you over the next quarter of an hour because there's lots of fascinating stuff in there. Some of it mm -hmm. that, that clearly relates directly to um, valuations and transactions, mm -hmm. but some of it a more general feel for the, the sentiments that are out there in terms of key key um, influences like uh, the NHS workforce issues, those kind of things. So really looking forward to, to um, the next few minutes. Um, I, I did want to just start with some uh, clarification of definitions because um, we, we chuck around terms like corporate um, and group. And I just, just wonder, for the purposes of this discussion and, and your review, what sort of definitions do you work to? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. Um, and there are some corporates who don't like to be described as corporates as well. I know there's, there's at times a bit of a stigma that's attached to that. But look, I think there shouldn't be any, any shame there whatsoever. When we describe corporates and mid-sized groups, 
that that is a, an operator or a private equity fund with a minimum. We've taken the kind of threshold, a minimum of 22 sites and above. Uh, when we talk about small groups, it's below 22 sites. And then the independent market speaks for itself. Now, independent market can be typically a husband and wife team or sole owner, one practice, or maybe two or three practices. That's what we would describe as as independent. Okay, excellent. Thank you. And 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 then, so so looking at the review as a whole, what what was your general sense of it? From what were the, the kind of main conclusions? And then we can maybe go into a bit more depth in certain points. Mm, yeah, certainly. I think it feels like distant news at at times, but I think it's important just to um, reflect on what was a dreadful time in COVID period, March 2022. But but kudos to the profession and the industry how quickly. Um, they, they rebounded. You know, practices reopened. Businesses were were more agile, more mindful of how they operated um, in, in circumstances that that you know it's crystal ball gazing what was going to happen next. Um, so so arguably these very good businesses became better businesses because there was a real focus there. Um, I think one of the other key trend that that's emerged and still continues is the demand for private dental practices, both from a patient perspective, but as a result of that that performance and, and these enhancements within those practices, the demand from buyers and investors is is quite significant. Yeah. So so when, when you um, look at that demand, I mean, what, what's that meant for things like volume of transactions and, and values? Yeah. Um, in the last 12 months, um, so sorry, for the period 2022 and then into um, uh, the, the whole of last year, we have seen um, that, that the, the balance of that activity quite considerably. Just in the first half of this year, 250 viewings, we have secured a minimum on average of, of one offer for every two viewings that take place. We've had over 180 offers uh, with an aggregate value of about £500 million and 75 new practices launching to the market. Um, of those, the buyer profile has, has typically honed in on the, the independent market um, or small groups, to, uh, and we've had about 75% of those practices transact. So still a smaller amount in terms of corporate ownership, and that, that's been quite a steady theme over the years. Um, it's not it's not always perceived that way, but but that's definitely a misconception in the marketplace. Yes, corporates are active, but they're more selective in what they buy. Um, they they tend to be the the larger practices of of scale and and size and quality. They tend to be of a price that that can sometimes outprice the independent market. Um, so so by nature, um, th- there's a smaller pool of those opportunities. Yeah. And and um, I mean, you, again, just going back to sort of the definitions thing, my understanding is that uh, organisations like Bupa and My Dentist haven't been active, although I guess that remains a possibility. So it, it's it's further it, when the smaller groups then that you're seeing most of the activity. Yeah, they are really dominating the market just now, Nigel. When we look at those who are probably trying to, you know, capture the attention of the marketplace, the, the, their ambition is to go from. 15 sites to 50 sites very quickly you know uh, is is that group going to be the the next portman the next dentex it's independently owned just now um it's it's bank funded but they want to to get to size and scale where it might attract private equity investment so then the acceleration of their growth over the next number of years 
can, can be a lot quicker than what would be if it was just independently owned and traditionally bank funded. And uh, within that, I mean, you mentioned about um, attract the attention of private equity. Uh, is is it your sense that there is quite a bit of private equity interest still in dental and that will be maintained? Yeah, very, very much so. I, I think um, in terms of it being maintained, yes, the money markets are, are moving in, in a very fast pace at this moment in time. Um, but, but I think as a result of the pandemic, again, we were seeing private equity investors who typically raise funds for um, different types of businesses. And one example of that was a large portfolio sale that we achieved last year. Um, it was a group of 46 practices. There was a, a major investment, majority investment from a private equity fund. That private equity fund also had investment in the hospitality sector. And, you know, they were doing a side by side comparison over the pandemic when they were seeing their hospitality portfolio take a bit of a pounding. And that's recovered now, which is encouraging to see. But in comparison to the dental sector, where a lot of these businesses were, were government funded, they were supported, they were backed, the acceleration of private practices once they reopened. Um, and, and so as a side by side comparison, private equity investors were very attracted to the fact that these these types of businesses recovered so quickly. And, and so I, I know this is probably a naive question, Paul, but um, it, it sounds like you have a, a situation where you have um, some ambitious independent practice owners who develop a, a small group that they then slightly expand and then there comes a point where they attract private equity and they can accelerate the growth, as you said before. Mm. And then then what, what's the sort of longer term exit strategy for, for that sort of business? Yeah, it, it can vary. I think just going back to the, 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 the first point of that, sometimes it can sound easier than, I, than it actually is. Um, build, building those small portfolios or groups, um, you know, I, I, the opportunities are out there to be able to do that. But there's some groups being created where there's no head office, there's no infrastructure, there's no support through the business. There's a dentist who is doing M&A activity, HR, dentistry, recruitment, a bit of everything. And, and private equity are typically not in, interested in that type of arrangement. There has to be there has to be heritage, there has to be an infrastructure. So um, the, these groups have to be groups in the true sense, not, not, a, not a, a number of practices cobbled together. Um, and then private equity will be interested. And they're interested in the existing team um, because private equity have a high level view of the sector. They don't know how to operate a dental practice. They can bring the efficiencies from a business perspective, but they're relying on the existing management team. So that's important. So the, 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 the stages that we'd see private equity investment come in and, and the, what the end game is, um, can vary, but but typically there's a buy and build strategy. So it's taking a group of 30 practices to a group of 70 practices. Um, and, and those practices have a umbrella company, they're, they're, they're branded. Um, and then at which point the private equity investor and uh, the tied in shareholders who have sold either a minority or majority shareholding would then look at another vehicle to purchase that group, another private equity investor, or perhaps even a trade buyer at that time. 
Um, and the, the purpose for it, or the mechanism for, for doing so, is because of the arbitrage multiple that those types of groups attract. So the, the exit multiple can be quite considerable. Um, the, the, the sites that are being acquired on an individual basis are at X times EBITDA, usually single digit multiples, but the exit multiple is double digit. So the, the uplift there can be quite attractive um, if, if done correctly. Yes, and, and the, the sort of multiple of EBITDA um, approach, which obviously historically that wasn't how um, people thought about buying and selling a dental practice, but it's become mm. the norm now. What, what yeah. One of the questions I get asked a lot is what is the sort of thing that influences a multiple? And you've, you've given us a nod towards that in terms of infrastructure and things, but yeah. what other factors are there? Yeah, it, it, it simply comes down to demand. I mean, multiples, multiples have been created because of demand from buyers in the marketplace. Um, if there was no demand or if there was oversupply of dental practices, so a choice for, for purchasers, you know, that would typically soften the, the multiples that are there. Um, I, I think we can sometimes get obsessed with multiples. I think the important thing is what we're multiplying as well. Um, and that, and that's, that's really paramount. That's the kind of principle of the, of the calculation. So those businesses that are attracting higher multiples tend to be practices of a size, quality, scale, um, look, every practice, I think, needs investment at every, every given time. This is not having a, about having a practice with bells and whistles and everything brand new and shiny. It's about how sustainable that business is going forward, any future growth in the business, any tangible upside that, that's available there. And a buyer will recognise that through their interest and, again, demand and, and the multiple they wish to pay for it. W with the data that we collate, we create those, those averages across NHS mixed private practices. Um, and again, there's nuances within various areas throughout the UK, perhaps some rural or coastal areas where there's less demand or recruitment issues, for example, might not attract the same types of premiums as the, the South East does or the, the central belt of Scotland, for example. Yeah, no, you, you touched on in, in that answer on a, a couple of sort of, uh, of the market dynamics at the moment to do with recruitment. I mean, workforce is definitely a, a very hot topic at the moment. And um, then the mix between NHS and private. So, so uh, it do presumably different practices attract different types of buyers. And I, I wondered how that looks. Yeah, it does. And I think that's that's why it's important when we're acting for a client who's selling is is to recognise that there's so much demand there just now. And and um, done the correct way, we can kind of knock on on all these doors throughout the UK, the, the kind of buyer profile that, that is keen to acquire. It's such a transient market as well, so it doesn't just have to be a buyer within a 10-mile radius. Um, buyers will come further afield for the, for the right opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then um, specifically then looking at the NHS side of things, I, I know the review picks out some some feedback and I know it varies because I think it's important to say that um, a lot of what we've been talking about has been a kind of UK perspective but then there'll be slight differences in attitude amongst those practices based in England versus Wales and Scotland for example. Yeah definitely and I think there's there's a bit of a rallying cry going on within NHS dentistry just now to improve the framework not necessarily remove the option for for NHS dentistry. I think over the last uh, fortnight the the BBC articles that have been released and and, and actually on Saturday morning before the seven o'clock news I, I caught a dentistry video that was which was recorded Eddie Crouch was on it as well and it, you know it was quite a hard hitting video actually on NHS dentistry um, 
Look, I, I think those who are operating within NHS are, are really rallying for improvements, that something has to change there. There is this 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 kind of other side of the coin that we're, we're not seeing that transcend right at this moment in time through to any negativity from a buyer perspective. Buyers are looking at it and, and still being interested in that sector. And, and ultimately, that can come down to the capability of a buyer. You know, they, they, their core foundation might be with an NHS dentistry, and that, that is absolutely fine. Um, I, I think what they will um, be, be, be keen to acknowledge, though, is those in the profession who are asking for improvements are successful in doing so as well. So th there'll always be that option. But I think the, 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 the real change in the marketplace, and it was happening before the pandemic, but, but I think the pandemic really accelerated it. It wasn't because of NHS access issues. It was just because how aware the consumer, the patient was of um, a, a, aware of oral health now. And private dentistry, that, that elective spend in dentistry was really accelerating quickly. Um, and we're, we're asking the million dollar question to all of those operators in private dentistry just now is, is that demand going to continue? And it's it's met with a, a very robust and, and sensible view, a concise view that that it will continue. Um, I saw an interesting slide that our average patient spend um, in private dentistry sits lowest in the UK than versus anywhere else in the world. So the opportunity there for further growth is is still the case. Yes, yeah, so I think that's very interesting. I mean, we see that with our Medenta side of the business, which is the patient finance side of things. We, mm. That that growth in demand for straighter, whiter teeth is it doesn't show any signs of abating, mm. to be honest. And it it's uh, you know once practices reopened, it just seems to have grown and grown and grown. So um, I, I'm sure the cost of living crisis and the the accompanying recession will have a dampening effect, but. You, you do get this overall sense that people are prioritizing oral health and cosmetic dentistry above uh, many other forms of spending. So it's um, yeah. it's 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 a, a time of, of opportunity. But if I can just return to that point about NHS practice valuations, because that that is that given the uncertainty and and the apparent lack of um, significant reform, there's been some some minor changes, but yeah. the lack of significant reform to the contracts. What what what's your sense of what and this is back to that crystal ball gazing thing. But what, where might that leave valuations of NHS practices? Yeah, I think just now we've not seen any any slowdown in where those valuations are appearing. Um, those deals that we have in the pipeline, for example, where where typically there's a six to seven month lead in time for those deals being done, they're being agreed at a rate today. Um, that the, the kind of two, three months into the deal process, we're not seeing that that value change in any shape or form. Those businesses, unless it obviously declines, um, the, the, the multiple changes or what we're multiplying changes and therefore will change the value. Um, I, I think the, it's probably too early to say, Nigel, at this moment in time, if there's a continued um, demise of, of NHS, which I, I I think the framework will change before we see a real drop off in demand from a buyer perspective. I think I think we've seen 13 years of growth within the NHS. So I think this this hiccup or blip that we're seeing just now um, with a, a, a large degree of interest in private practices is, is great. It's healthy for the market because it allows the NHS market to, to just kind of take a 
bit of a back step and and recalibrate and and, and improve what's on offer there. Um, again, I think what what could affect or impact valuations is is what we're coming to uh, in the next number of months with costs of living increasing, the squeeze on on controllable costs are running in a business. Um, you know everything's going up at the, this moment in time, and 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 therefore the constant squeeze on EBITDA on profitability could mean that the turnover stays the same within a practice or even grows, but profitability is coming down. Multiples could stay the same from our perspective, but again, what we're multiplying is declining. So from a valuation perspective, or looking at how values were historically determined when people would talk about percentage of turnover, that, that, may, that may look lower, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the, the multiple has decreased. Uh, that multiple mm. could stay the same. It's just what we're multiplying is down. Yeah, that makes sense. And especially when I think back to um, when I started my career and it was all a percentage of turnover. I think mm. what you've just done illustrates why we need to move away from that that approach to to valuing. And and, and I, I guess it's 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 potentially a particular challenge for practices based in England that are working on the NHS or have an NHS contract because they don't necessarily have the opportunity to pass on any of those increased costs to patients. They've got a a, a cap really to um, what they can earn. So that's going to squeeze their EBITDA, which then then potentially has yeah. an impact. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that cap is causing the issue. I, I think as well where that translates operationally for these practices is um, access issues for, for patients within NHS just now. If anyone's moving away from the NHS, which we are seeing a, a bit of at this moment in time, there's some there's some mixed practices that we're seeing in the true sense where there's a, there's a sub-scale NHS contract there. There's 50% of private income, you know, that's a that's a perfect opportunity for conversion potentially to become fully private. So access issues for patients is a is a real issue. And that's an issue that that is kind of clearly being rallied for within the NHS at this moment in time and, and how that's going to improve. Um, you know, conversely, when we look at the Scottish market, and again, it's 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 not um it's it's not the perfect model. But I think one of the interesting BBC stats was that 95% of patients in Scotland are registered with an NHS dentist. It appeared that access issues were were definitely improved in comparison to England. So I think there has to be a consistency across across our nations, across the UK. Um, you know, that's that's for the, the experts to determine, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because uh, from my perspective, um, Things are just getting more and more inconsistent between uh, the nations, and um, uh, and I, I I agree it would be a lot easier if that wasn't the case, but I I can't see it changing anytime soon. And I think you have to be slightly careful with the kind of lies, damn lies, and statistics because 95% of patients registered is different to 95% of patients accessing. So it's right. um yeah. it's it's a uh, I, I think it is a challenge across the board, although there are definitely regional differences. Yeah, there definitely is. There definitely is. I think a, a degree of consistency might be wishful thinking, but we shall see. But, yeah. but you know, the, the one point that is consistent across our nations is everyone's enjoying the the, the benefit of private dentistry just now. You know, those those trends aren't just relating to to England or Wales or, or Scotland for that matter. It's right across the UK, which is which is probably the first time we have seen any significant real consistency. Yeah, well, I mean, we um, obviously spend a lot of our time helping um, dentists make that kind of decision and make that change. And, uh, 
you know, we're having, uh, well, last year was our most successful year since 2007, 2008. And this year is already more successful than last year uh, in terms of the number of practices that we're able to help, help make that journey. And, but it, it has varied. Last year, there was a lot of activity in Scotland, interestingly. And this year, it's been largely England. And the last mm -hmm. um, few weeks, we've had a flurry of interest from Wales, which um, yeah. it, is, it is fascinating. And, and you almost sense that a lot of uh, dentists who maybe were held back by a lack of confidence in their ability to make private practice work are, are gaining confidence. So the, the dynamic seems to be shifting, as, as you've alluded to. Definitely. I think that's a really good point. I think one of the, the misconceptions in the market to, to operate a successful private practice, you have to be in a, a favourable demographic area, salubrious location. That's definitely not the case. So we, to, to your point, Nigel, seeing some of those practices that have historically been core NHS and thought there was no option but to be NHS, um, have successfully converted to become fully private and there's a patient demand there for high quality private treatments. Um, yeah, that's absolutely the case. I mean, I've got a number of case studies where if, if I'm honest, I probably would have advised the dentist against trying to go private before yeah. the pandemic. Now you, you're seeing some remarkable success stories. And I think that's yeah. that's healthy because it will mean that if people opt to stay in the NHS, they're doing that for positive reasons as opposed to feeling trapped in the NHS. And I, yeah, exactly. um, but I, that that's where I think these longer term reforms of NHS dentistry become so important because increasingly I think um, the NHS and government is going to have to make the NHS an attractive place to stay, not just mm -hmm. something people can't move away from. But um, I, 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 I knew this would happen, Paul, because this is so interesting, this topic, and, and we've already been talking for, for um, longer than than we would normally do one of these podcasts for. But um, are there are some key points that you would like to to sort of finish on and bring out that you would like to to particularly highlight? Yeah, certainly. I, I think um, it's important just now in such a fast-paced moving market, um, an operator of a dental practice who has focused on their profession and what they're doing, recovering the business, uh, the difficulties, the hurdles, the operational challenges can sometimes lose sight of of what options are available for them in the marketplace. And that, that could be acquiring new sites or growing or expanding or converting uh, to, to private or just exiting completely. The kind of worry where they might have a predominantly NHS practice and thinking, who's going to buy it? Is, it? is it attractive in this marketplace? There are options out there just now. I think the, 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 the point that I would want to make, um, and it's a bit of a selfish point, so forgive me, um, it's, it's give time to the process. You know, engaging with a, a broker like ourselves isn't just always about selling a practice. It's being able to kind of take advice from our consultancy team, our valuation team, and find out what options um, that that operator has in the marketplace. Find out the advice of today's value versus future value, what they can do to improve value. Um, the, the demand from buyers, whether that be for NHS practices or private and, and finding out those nuances at any given time. As advisors, that's what we're keen to support the profession with. Okay, well, excellent. I think that's a, a, a great note to end, albeit I know we could carry on talking for, <laughs> I don't know, an, an hour or two just on the review. So look, thank you so much for your time today, Paul. Really enjoyed exploring that that Christie's review and some fascinating nuggets that I, I've certainly um, learned a lot from when I've been listening to you and reading the review. So thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Likewise, thank you, Nigel.